up, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Back Office Out Front, the podcast covering the corporate army behind the athlete. I'm your host, Adam Bernstein, and on today's episode, we have Nicole Woody, the executive director of the Chris Long Foundation. Nicole has worn numerous hats in numerous different roles up to this point in her working career. Spending a large part of her early work life in politics, she then followed her passion for sports to the then St. Louis Rams, and then ultimately took on this executive role, working side-by-side with former All-Pro and Super Bowl champ Chris Long. She is my first philanthropic and social awareness and social change-oriented guest on the show, and she's able to leverage Chris's major platform and following to do a lot of good in the world, in the spaces of clean water, the military, and raising awareness to help young youth in need. On this episode, we discuss the wide scope of their charity, inspiring others to continue your philanthropic work, and our common hatred for Duke basketball. All of this and more on this episode of Back Office Out Front. Hello, everybody. Today on the show, we have Nicole Woody, who is the executive director of the Chris Long Foundation. How are you doing today, Nicole? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Of course. Thank you for agreeing to come on. So I usually like to start with my guest's time at school, and I'm curious as to what you did both inside and outside of the classroom when you were at UNC. Um, well, I was a economics major, a double major in economics and something called management and society, which is like the sociology of business, so like the yeah. people side. Um, so yeah, I mean, I studied those two things, which I enjoyed. I mean, I really loved kind of the balance that, uh, sort of the, uh, rigid factors of econ, yeah. um, give you, but then also being able to balance that with kind of the understanding that there are these factors that come into play with people and personalities and, you know, nothing sort of exists in a vacuum of of theories alone, sort of. So Mm -hmm. I really loved, um, you know, that education that I got at UNC. And um, I mean, going to school in Carolina is, um, to me, (laughs) the ultimate college experience here in a beautiful place. Um, If you like sports at all, which I love sports, um, you just can't beat, um, you know, the Duke UNC rivalry, mm-hmm. um, just geographically where Carolina is situated, that you have so many universities and colleges um, there from, you know, HBCUs to small private universities to obviously, um, you know, the big ones. And, you know, you can drive a few hours and get to Clemson or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have Wake Forest, you have NC State, Duke. So it was just a really great um, college environment that, um, I loved it. And I did spend a lot of time watching sporting events outside of the classroom and, uh, you know, doing a little bit of volunteering and really just kind of having your, your typical college experience. Yeah. A lot of fun balancing uh, learning and fun, right? Yeah. So I, I go to Michigan now, but I grew up a huge, huge, huge UNC sports fan. My grandpa went there back in the day. And my last guest worked with Danny Green. And I watched Danny Green on UNC when they won the title. So I was kind of fan playing a bit over that. <laughs> um, but that's a nice thing to hear. Do you have any rivalry with Chris? Because the UVA, UNC, ACC, anything ever come up there? I mean, yeah, I gotta say, I spend a lot of time in Charlottesville. Um, mm. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little hard being a Carolina fan. I have to limit my uh, wearing my powder blue. But you know what we've basically decided on with Chris and you know all of our great supporters there in Charlottesville is we're just gonna focus on our mutual hatred of Duke. Yes, so that's I can, where I, I just, can get behind that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's where we just kind of try to bring it back to. So amen. Uh, if, if, if we get too heated, we just say, oh yeah, by the way, we both hate Duke. So. Yeah. That's always enemy of my enemy is my friend. And exactly was working in sports or in the nonprofit world something that you thought you wanted to do coming out of school or what was the idea with that? 
Um, not really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I came out of school, um, like I said, I was a, a econ and, um, you know, management society major, that kind of people piece. And, yeah. you know, I, I've always loved helping people. I've always, you know, I was raised kind of with the philosophy is, you know, sort of be the change you want to see in the world and mm-hmm. treat other people like you want to be treated. So I think that that sort of vein of has already, has always been a part of kind of what I wanted to do and what I was passionate about, but I didn't come out of college thinking, oh, I want to go work for a nonprofit yeah. or specifically that I wanted to work in sports. Um, I kind of went the business uh, route first. I worked for a property management company in um, Florida, and then um, I did actually political fundraising, which I think is kind of a little bit, it's not, it's not nonprofit, but yeah. it is about sort Smart of bettering idea. society and right. helping people and, you know, helping get folks elected that, you know, you believe in and, and are going to carry our uh, country in the right direction. So, um, you know, that was kind of my trajectory. But when I was working in, in politics and when I was kind of starting to be at the, the sort of end of getting a little burnt out because politics politics is exhausting, especially working on uh, the campaign side, um, is, you know, I have always just been such a sports fan. And I, I knew about this um, field of kind of sports philanthropy. um, And I was just really curious in in investigating more what was that what that was about, um, because I've always been really interested in sort of utilizing kind of, you know, a platform that a business has, or a platform that an individual has, um, to do good, which mm-hmm. while, you know, I work in the nonprofit space, of course, and we are a, you know, a nonprofit and a public charity, um, there is, um, this kind of component of, you know, there's the one side where you're sort of asking for the dollars and doing the programming. And there's the other side where kind of you're giving the dollars. Right. And I'm at a very cool intersection of that and what we do now. Um, but you know, my initial specific interest in, in sports philanthropy is kind of like, Hey, I, I love sports and I want to know how they can actually do good and, and help society as well, besides obviously being a great uh, entertainment factor. Um, so I, after my political career, you know, said, I kind of asked around for some folks that might know some people in at the Rams because I was working in politics in St. Louis and yep. um, just kind of was, was lucky enough to actually, I took an internship first uh, before being hired there. Wow. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, was was there for for multiple years before going out with Chris. So that's kind of how that happened. So that's a perfect segue into my next question. And can you just discuss a bit, a little bit more in detail about a couple of the roles that you had there? I saw in particular player involvement manager, and that obviously seems like a kind of a natural path into going in house with one of the players after the fact. But could you touch a bit upon a few of the roles you had there and what your like day to day looked like? Yeah. So, I mean, I started off in the community department. So my whole career there was, was in the community and, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of philanthropy side of sports and um, doing our, you know, helping with our community programming and um, doing, you know, play 60 and all those kind of initiatives that come down through the NFL. And then obviously um, t- also different initiatives that the Rams specifically were focused on, um, you know, in the St. Louis market. Um, and so I always did that and probably, you know, after my, obviously I was an intern, I wasn't really working with the players as much, but really starting my first year full time, I started doing player involvement right away. And really what that is, is working with players um, to engage them in team initiatives, things that we have going on, the way that it was set up at the Rams, which is different on each team is that we helped um, not only with community programs, but also, um, you know, get players engaged with sponsorship deals or things like that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, from the team side, 
um, different appearances, things, things like that. Um, so really kind of all team initiatives um, from kind of the business side through the community side, um, helping getting players engaged with. But at my time in St. Louis, I was really lucky because the Rams really um, put a community focus first um, and they, they really um, truly cared about the St. Louis community and did a lot of philanthropic work yeah. um, and really valued that and supported the players um, in their desires to do that. So aside from engaging the guys in team initiatives, you know, my other job was really to, to work with them on helping them bring sort of their, um, you know, their goals and how they wanted to impact the community uh, to life as well. So really working with them to come up with, you know, ideas or, or foster um, kind of their passion for giving back and helping others. Um, and so that was kind of, it's kind of a twofold um, job, but no. it was, it was great. Yeah. And w with that individual idea, I vividly remember it was either E60 or outside the lines or something like that. And I remember Chris Long and I don't remember who the other person was. I don't know. William Lord, Hayes. To William Hayes. Thank you. Yes. You know what I'm going to say? simulated the experience of like being homeless and I, I, that was my first interaction with athletes really using their voice I must have been eight nine ten eleven something like that at the time and I'm curious were you involved at all with that or uh yeah 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 fully 100% of it was actually uh William so Chris and William are very good friends and, yeah uh, William came to me first about this idea about wanting to really immerse himself um in um, you know, the homeless community and to see what that, what that was like and bring some awareness, um, to the issue. And so he convinced Chris to do it with him. Um, and yeah, I know I helped them plan that, that whole experience, which was really quite an experience. I think yeah. it was really quite an experience for both William and Chris. Um, you can't, you can't plan for kind of what that's going to look like or what their experiences, right. um, you know, are going to be. Um, but it was, it was a great creative way um, to bring awareness to a very, very important cause. Yeah. Um, but obviously both Chris and William really kind of put their, you know, they put always put their money and their um, energy where mm -hmm. their mouth is. And so obviously where it was also really able to help um, a couple individuals after that um, directly as well and, and worked a lot with the St. Patrick Center in St. Louis yeah. that focuses on homelessness. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I love about my job, uh, both at the Rams and even now is that really being able to think through, you know, what are these creative ways that we can use the platform that professional sports has provided, um, you know, provided Chris and, and provided guys like William um, to do good and, and move the needle on causes that they really care about. Yeah, I think that's phrased perfectly because, I mean, that's, you know, homelessness obviously is such a horrible thing, but homelessness in St. Louis is something that, you know, growing up as a, let's say I was a 12-year-old from New York, I never would have really you know, given the time to think about it or to see. But when I saw that it was Chris Long and William Hayes, you know, people who I recognized and watched on TV, it really shined a light on it in a whole the way that it never would have before. And I think that's a powerful example. Um, and then let's see. So when did you ultimately decide to leave the Rams organization and go off with Chris um, in-house with him on your own? And what's that process and conversation and how that looked? Yeah, well, like I said, I loved every minute um, that I was at the Rams, and it was kind of just the perfect storm. And actually, when I first left the Rams, it wasn't just Chris that I worked with. So yeah. I actually did work with William gotcha. um, and Chris. Those were kind of my first uh, two players that I worked with. And it really was just that these were guys um, that had long been committed to philanthropy that I had worked with really closely yeah. um, in my role as community involvement to help them, you know, do good and and help the communities that they care about and they were both just really ready 
um, to delve deeper into certain causes and issues and grow sort of their philanthropic footprint. Yeah. And it was at the time that, um, you know, I love being a part of the team and a part of what the Rams, um, you know, were doing for the community, but I was also excited to kind of help delve a little deeper um, into some causes that, um, you know, in the team environment is just a little bit harder to do because you have such a big platform right. um, that you're, you're kind of, you know, you, you, you help multiple organizations, you have the responsibility to entire community. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a little bit harder to kind of every day delve into something, especially when the main focus, of course, is, you know, winning winning Super right. Bowls, hopefully. Right. Um, so um, I was just kind of ready to sort of switch Um, switch that up and and delve a little deeper. And I was excited to be able to use some of, you know, my previous skills in in being a political fundraiser and, you know, getting back to kind of using that skill set to do good and stuff. But really, it really was a function of um, seeing the vision, you know, that Chris had. And, you know, at the time, um, William as well, of what they wanted to do. And I was just so passionate. Um, You know, I'd worked with a lot of players and there's so many guys that want to do good and that's that is my passion is is helping people figure out how they can most effectively use their platform or their their talents or whatever it is um to do good in the world um and I was just really excited about about that challenge and um knew that I, I wanted to be a part of of what these guys um were going to do long term yeah and with what Chris is doing today so the three main causes of the organization are clean water military and youth in need and I know this is a super broad question and you can spend hours and hours diving into each of these, but in a very broad sense, you know, two or three sentences for each, could you explain what the initiatives behind the foundation are in terms of clean water, military, and youth in need? Yeah. So, you know, about 70% of what we do is, is in the clean water space. And we do that through our signature initiative, Water Boys, which has the simple goal to unite um, professional athletes, fans, uh, coaches, veterans, um, and corporate supporters um, to raise funds and awareness to uh, provide clean water to communities in desperate need, both mm-hmm. at home and abroad. And our ultimate goal there is to provide water to one million people. And what we we do that what we do under that initiative is it's kind of broken out into four different programs um, that really focus on different leagues or sort of causes. So we have like our Conquering Killy program that really unites our military combat vets. Um, with retired athletes that climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise funds for clean water. Um, we have our NFL Water Boys initiative, which of course is our initiative that engages with NFL players. We have our Hoops 2.0 initiative that engages with NBA and college um, uh, men's basketball coaches. Um, and then we also have um, our hometown H2O program, which is our newest program, which um, is our program that focuses on um, domestic water, because uh, we started off doing just all international in East Africa. Um, but through that, we're just really focused on providing sustainable solutions um, for communities that that really need water, as there's, you know, over 780 million people worldwide that don't have access to, to water. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big, it's wow. a big problem. But, you know, we're really confident in what we can do by uniting players and fans together around this cause to really move the needle. So since we started that five years ago, um, you know, we're, um, our water projects are serving um, over 380,000 people, and mm-hmm. we're closing in on the, the 100 uh, mark there for a number of, of water projects. So Congratulations. we're really, thank you. We're, we're proud of that. And then, um, you know, for the kind of the youth in need piece, what we really focus on there is we kind of leave it broad because the, the great thing about 
Chris, and I also want to mention his wife, Megan, because mm-hmm. even though Chris is the athlete, Megan is as much a part of this foundation also, yeah. you know, as he is, um, but they have that genuine passion for, for helping people. And so, you know, you can we want to be able to step up and help kids that need help. You know, we're all about really helping the most vulnerable communities and the most vulnerable people. And we, we want to lead that flexibility, but the majority of our work in that area does focus on educational equity. Um, and that um, we do that a lot through um, investment in early childhood literacy to really address um, the correlation between if kids are reading on grade level by the start mm-hmm. of fourth grade, what that is going to mean for their future in terms of their increased likelihood to um, be incarcerated, uh, live in poverty, things like that. Um, and then we also do some investments for older kids, uh, middle school, high school, beginning of college um, for organizations that really support the holistic student. Because of course, you know, with equity and these under-resourced students is that just having access to education often isn't enough. Um, there are additional resources and supports that need to be in place to make sure that that equity factor is, um, is there. So that's primarily what we do in the youth space. And then for military support, um, you know, Chris has been passionate about the military um, always and has always, um, you know, done uh, military, military philanthropic events since he entered the league. Um, and we do some funding there, cutting direct checks to organizations um, that support military members like um, NVP um, and a couple organizations that do some building of houses uh, for military members. But our majority of our direct work there is through our Conquering Killy program. Um, so we kind of have some overlap uh, there with our yep. Water Boys initiative. Wow. No, that's so much. And that's obviously super amazing to, you know, touch as many lives as possible and solve as many issues as you can. But like to counter that, um, it seems like most charities today, and especially ones with regards to athletes, tend to focus on one niche and one topic. And it's obviously amazing to focus on as much as you can. But I'm curious why you guys chose to go the different route than conventionally. And if you think that um, why people choose to focus on one thing and didn't start out that way, and then expanded into much more or what was the mindset there behind going after so much and how has that been? I mean, yeah, it's, it definitely, it definitely is. Uh, it makes, it makes my life exciting every single day. Right. <laughs> <Exciting> <laughs> it makes our team, yeah. yeah, my team's, my team's life exciting every single day, but let's actually just had on a meeting um, before this and talking to someone about it. Um, I mean, I feel so, um, you know, blessed to work for someone like Chris, um, you know, and Meg um, that, just has a passion for helping people. And yes, while, you know, we've put the parameters in place to make sure that, you know, our work is sustainable and that we can manage to do all these many things, um, is that we also want to be really authentic to who Chris and Meg are and and what they care about. And they want to be able to help people. And that's why we really talk a lot about this in general, just helping the most vulnerable communities at home and abroad. Um, because if there is need, we want to be able to sort of have that flexibility to address it. And while it kind of, it it may seem sort of like it's not just one thing, um, but really ultimately um, what we're doing is we're investing in areas um, that really um, allow for transformative change for for individuals. So Mm -hmm. for water, for example, um, if communities don't have water, especially like in developing countries, um, you know, kids can't get an education because they're spending their days either sick right, right. or because young girls are going to get water. So how can that child advance in life if they're not getting an education? Mothers don't have time to invest in other economic 
development avenues, for example, or start businesses or do the other things that they need to do because they have to spend six hours a day searching for water. Um, in areas that are drought prone, you don't have food sustainability because um, you don't have water to grow crops, things like this, right? So if you don't have water, um, really none of that is possible. Um, and so we're investing in something that allows communities to truly transform and thrive. And it's the same thing sort of with education, well, not sort of, with educational equity yeah. is that for Chris and Meg, the number one investment that they can make for a more just and equitable future is by investing in youth and education. Because for them, the gateway to breaking some of these cycles that we see or to making sure that we have a more unjust and equitable future is to ensure that kids, especially from under-resourced and low-income backgrounds, are getting access to education. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, 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 it seems sort of varied, but really ultimately it's about where we can make investments to hopefully have transformative change for these vulnerable communities. No, that makes plenty of sense. And I think that another reason that you guys have been so successful thus far is because you've been able to get a lot of other people and other people involved and not, you know, carry all of the weight per se on your shoulders. And I heard in another interview that you did talking about how important it is that you want the organization to have a ripple effect and inspire other people and have other people who aren't just you and Chris and Chris's wife to inspire other people. And I think that, you know, you already include Miles Garrett and obviously a bunch of other NFL players and Malcolm Brogdon and other UVA basketball alum, things like that. So how important is that goal to you and how much of a conscious effort do you make to kind of get everything off of your plate and allow people to kind of take advantage of things on their own and further your mission without you necessarily being the one to directly take charge? Yeah, I mean, we, we take it really seriously um, in the sense that, you know, even aside from, you know, the, the athletes and the people with the profile that obviously is tremendous in helping us forward a cause and make change faster and get more resources to communities that need it quicker, um, it really is about the fact that we can reach so many fans and individuals that hopefully will inspire them to want to take some sort of action and you know chris has always said that it doesn't even matter whether that person necessarily gives to our education initiative or gives to water boys it matters that they've been inspired and sometimes to do something yeah. to better um, their community or help others and yeah. that's really i think you know what it's about but just i mean even when you look at it um just from kind of the the basics of it is that you know chris has been very lucky to play have a tremendous you know he had an 11 year nfl football career mm -hmm. he made very decent money while he played um <laughs> no one's going to argue that chris has the ability to cut checks and do things but when he does that in a silo you know is that there's still there's still limits to that right? right like there is still limits to what one person can do like at the end of the day like Chris couldn't have done 92 projects himself in five years. Right. Like it's not possible. But right. when we pool all these things together, these resources, whether it's a company that gives us $100,000 or a fan that gives us $8, the whole point is, is that the power of that is so much more, which ultimately means we can help people way faster and kind of see it like, you know, a, a rock rolling down a hill collecting moss, you know, it just, it just starts rolling and it keeps going faster. And, Ultimately, the whole point is to get water to people faster, to help kids 
get a more equitable access to education quicker, all of those things yeah. um, we're able to do when we involve other people. So it's vital to our mission. It's something that we're founded on. We never wanted to operate in a vacuum. Um, and we wanted to be able to make sure that we're using that platform that Chris has been afforded as a professional athlete um, to really move and forward good as opposed to just kind of quietly doing things because we know what the effects are um, overall yeah. and how amplified they can be. That's great. And I think that, I mean, that's obviously a model that a lot of other people can follow. And I think that's kind of the whole point of the whole athlete activist thing is that you have a platform, so you might as well use it to inspire as many people as possible. Exactly. Um, and then quickly moving into current events with regards to COVID-19, I think that's another benefit of having the charity be broad and not just focus directly on one thing and money and donations going to one thing is that you can adapt to the times. So I'm curious how Chris and everyone has, and you have um, used the charity, used his voice and done anything with regards to helping the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, I mean, exactly to your point. I mean, we, we love the fact that we do have some of this flexibility that we can respond. So, you know, we realized, you know, right when COVID-19 first really kind of reached its, its high point, you know, in March that, yeah people were going to be hurting in, you know, communities that we really care about. And we focused on Charlottesville, Virginia, where Chris makes his home, mm -hmm. you know, now that he's retired. Um, but, you know, people were losing jobs and, you know, restaurants were closing down and there was, uh, Charlottesville already has a really high rate of food insecurity anyways. And so, um, you know, when you have something like COVID-19 and people who are already at risk, it just increases that so much more. So we created a program called Grub for Good um, to help feed um, kind of a twofold mission was to help feed people who need it in the community, but also order all of that food from locally owned restaurants that were also struggling to keep their doors open or keep employees employed. So yeah. um, we did that with COVID specifically around our programming. Um, but you know, and the other thing is, is around the COVID piece is that for us, it kind of, we didn't necessarily delve into it right away. We didn't like go in like in March, like, well, international waters is also about fighting a pandemic because we knew that people were very focused on their local communities. But ultimately, yeah. the work that we already do is directly tied to helping communities combat COVID-19. Because if you can't, if you can't have, if you don't have access to clean water, you can't wash your hands. You can't do these things that are the number one fighters of stopping the spread of a disease and staying right. healthy. Right. So ultimately our work is already very um, important uh, to, you know, fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and we had for a while with our domestic work with hometown H2O um, really wanted to help serve indigenous populations. And we are kind of, you know, kind of doing research on the best kind of way that we can do that. But definitely with COVID-19, it sped up our process a lot more uh, because, um, you know, across the Navajo Nation, they have just been so disproportionately affected yeah. uh, by COVID-19. And so we knew that we needed to step up and do something uh, right away with water. And we work with an awesome partner in Dig Deep um, that has been working across the Navajo Nation uh, for years and doing great work in delivering water to people. And so, you know, we were able to make a sizable gift um, to them and That's work awesome. with them to get immediate relief um, for those families um, that needed access uh, to safe water and running water at home. That's great. And I think that I'm going to tell a quick story and then have one more question before I let you go. And just sticking with current events for this story is that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Deshaun Jackson made comments that were 
considered anti-Semitic by a lot of people, and I'm not hiding anything with the name Bernstein, I'm Jewish. And a lot of people, a lot of people were waiting for athletes to speak up, and people weren't speaking up as quickly as a lot of my Jewish peers and myself would have liked. And then I remember that Chris was, I think, the first, I, I don't want to say big name athlete, no offense to anybody else who spoke up, but who spoke up. And I believe his exact wording was, we can walk and chew gum, with referring to um, anti-Semitism and the Black Lives Matter movement and one being a distraction from the other. And I just wanted to share, you know, I don't know how much you personally had a connection to him saying anything, but just it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to my friends, and my family and my peers who were waiting for someone to speak up. And, you know, he has no horse in the race. He is neither black nor is he Jewish. But the fact that he, you know, actively speaks up for both groups of people who have been, you know, um, discriminated against for a long time, I think speaks volumes to who he is as a person, you know, having no, nothing, you know, material to gain out of that not being part of the organization so i just want to say thank you and thank him as a whole and that was just something that meant a lot to me and a lot of people close to me um, well i i will definitely share that with him <laughs> and i had nothing to do with him saying that chris is is right all his all his own stuff and um is so authentic in that he cares you know about um just doing what's right like i yeah. like i said just working for someone that you know walks the walk and talks the talk and yeah. Um, you know, has a, a moral compass for, for what he believes is right and is going to speak up about it when he knows that something is right or wrong um, is just so important. And I, I definitely will share that with him. And I think, you know, like you said, that whole sentiment of, you know, we can walk and chew gum is a lot of also bleeds over to your earlier question. Like the fact that like, that's Chris's philosophy, like, just because there's, just because we can focus on one wrong right. in the world doesn't mean there's not another wrong exactly. we can also address because yeah. there's a lot of them yeah. so let's time. just do yeah. our part and do what we can yeah when we can and my last question before i let you go is that for someone in my shoes who is you know a student or about to get their first job who wants to either work in sports or work in social action or work in this niche field that you're in of sports-based social action charity things like that do you have any piece of advice of how to get there or something along those lines no i just say I don't know, just don't be afraid to volunteer, put yourself yeah. out there, kind of yeah. get the get the experience that you want and really take the time to like figure out what parts you like about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think in general, especially for people who want to go into sports, like there's this idea that I just want to be in sports. And I think sometimes um, people can do themselves a disservice because they just want to be in sports and they're kind of open to anything, but almost really trying to figure out that focus of what part of sports really interests you because yeah. it's a huge and especially as like sports leagues and teams get more sophisticated I mean there is so many jobs I mean like there's you know there's cybersecurity jobs in sports now right. there's right. data analysis you know both on the football side and the business side like there's all these different things um so I think um really just trying to take the time to you know whether that's through internships or volunteering or just research or talking to people or reaching out to people for informational interviews like i think in general the sports world you know folks that work in it um are really open to talking to people who want to be in it and sharing their experiences um, but i think the more that you can focus in and figure out you know this is what i am passionate about this is really what i'm interested in this is where my skill set translates will kind of help have a more focused path because otherwise it is sort of a competitive world in the sense there's a lot of people that want to work in sports and so to just kind of have too wide of a umbrella sometimes yeah. can be I think um, harmful. No I think that is definitely great advice um, and I just want to say thank you again for coming on you were the first guest that I've had on the show who works with an athlete in more of a social action sense and less in a financial sense and I think that 
when I started this show, I viewed, you know, those two aspects of athletes off field lives as equal. And sadly, I've not been able to get as many people who do what you do, which I personally, no offense to anyone else who's been on the show, view as more important than anything they could do in a financial sense. So again, thank you for coming on. This has been amazing. Well, it's my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Again, thank you, Nicole, for coming on to the show. I had a super amazing time talking to you and I'm really glad that I finally got to have a guest on who could touch on the philanthropic side of the athlete voice. And I think that all of these business ventures that athletes are beginning to go into is super great and super amazing and will really begin to change how we view an athlete in today's society. But I think that just as importantly, if not more importantly, is the way that they can use their voice and use their power and use their fan base for good. And I think that Chris is, you know, a great example of that and has been doing it for a long, long time. And I think just as we see this trend of athletes using their clout, using their fan base, using their pull to make themselves money for personal gains, I think that using their voice to better the world and better their communities and anything in between will really, really begin to increase as well. And I think that we're just on the cusp of it and it's great to see where that's going to lead. And with that, thank you again for tuning in and I'll talk to you guys soon on another episode of Back Office Out Front.